0: All right. Welcome back. We are a day early. I understand that it is what it is because Joey has an awesome big announcement.
1: Yep. The officially closing on the house that my girlfriend and I purchased. Uh, closing is tomorrow. So we got to do everything a day early because I'm going to be pretty tied up for the next uh, couple of days here. But I would much rather be moving than dealing with work related issues. So
0: I yep. can't complain too much. Buying, uh, buying a house at the top of the market can be stressful, I guess. <laughs> i will never especially stop making fun of this
1: <laughs> especially whenever you work in the shipping industry and it's just burning to the ground right now from all angles so i mean you're trying to buy a house at the hottest time while well, your day job is in the shipping industry during the hottest it's ever been in the history of shipping mm-hmm. during the most intense time of the year where everyone's gearing up for the peak season and the holiday shippers and it's just like someone put an end to it all right now for me.
0: I don't know if we're willing to call it. I don't know if like the economists and the macro people, because they're basically just astrologers for nerds. But uh and I don't I I hate macroeconomics. I think it's an absolute fool science. Microeconomics is where it's at. But uh like I think all the macro people, I think it's time to call we're in a labor, we're in an absolute labor crisis. It's horrible. I had to get my car towed the other day. I had flat tire and all this stuff and i had to wait 2 hours for someone to get there. Usually AAA is really good. You know, they're like an hour at most, 15 minutes no problem. And then they took me to the wrong place, got out and i was like, "All right, i have to order another one." Order another one, they said, "Yeah, we won't be here till midnight." I was like, oh, "Okay. All right. Never mind. I'm just going to figure this out in the morning and go from there." So, we are i i think we're in a labor crisis and it's just a mess. And i can't wait for people to get back to work. I'm so sick of everything being a pain. <laughs> it's such a pain. Oh.
1: We definitely are. We, I mean, we can't get enough package handlers to move the type of volume. And even if we did have the right amount of package handlers, we still have too much volume. And I mean, on the other side of things is I honestly sat there today and I was thinking, man, if I wasn't spending all this money on a house, I would lose my mind on these customers who are treating me like garbage and just get fired. It's not worth
0: it. It's not worth it. Well, I'm sure you, I don't, you probably actually haven't heard. This is fun. A bunch of restaurants have now been really pushing back against the whole uh, the customer's always right thing. I mean, I worked in the restaurant industry for a year and I didn't really have too many issues with it because I personally believe people are pretty easy to deal with. And if you just, you know, work with them, give them what they want, they go pretty well. But I know a lot of people really struggle with this kind of thing. And so restaurants will have all these signs and all these policies now that say, look, don't be an asshole to our people. We don't have hardly anyone working and we can't find anyone to work. So if you're mean to them, we're going to ask you to leave, not the server, because we don't have anyone else to fill their spot. I, th- I think that's that's kind of good. We need to, we, I mean, we got to respect each other at some point. You know, you can't just walk in there and demand because you have the dollars that you're handing over. And I'm glad that we're kind of reaching that point.
1: Oh yeah, I love that. I mean, people are only becoming more valuable because of supply and demand when there's not enough people that want to work, all of a sudden the value of labor and the value of my labor, your labor, everyone's labor goes way up.
0: Yep. We so, don't have the robots yet. They're almost there, but we're not there for a lot of industries. And we do still have to rely on manual labor for a lot of stuff. So I think it's important that we kind of work with each other.
1: Yeah. If everyone just treated each other fairly and understood that, you know, acts of God happen like severe weather storms and hurricanes that may delay some processes in the <laughs> supply chain, then, yep. you know, we could all be happy.
0: You're right. Do you know what day today is? Today is
1: the for putting this out tomorrow, the 30th.
0: Right. But when we're actually recording this is the 29th, which is National Coffee Day. So I'm having one for you because I know you're a big coffee guy.
1: Coffee makes the world go round. <laughs> Unfortunately, I didn't get to do my French press this morning. So that's probably why my day started on a downward trend and continued in that direction. Yep. But um, I I hit the little Keurig John up for uh for a quick cup and uh That was about the extent of my caffeine intake today, which is very depressing considering how much I love coffee and it is the National Coffee Day.
0: I've taken a couple different stances on coffee over the years and I think you'll appreciate this. I used to be, originally I started drinking coffee in like high school, like forever and ever ago and I loved it. That was the way I started my day, it was awesome. And then I kind of realized, I was like, oh wait, this stuff has a major impact on how my day goes. I'm totally against this. So one big flop to the next. And then, you know, as I've grown up, I started to realize it was like coffee, alcohol, all those different things, they're tools. And you have to use them like tools. You can't use them like a daily routine unless it really, really works for you because we're all different. So I mean, after realizing that, I think it's an awesome tool. I think some people do abuse it, but I don't know. I go back and forth. I think I'm at a really happy place with a, I'm in a really good relationship with coffee right now.
1: (laughs) Hey, it's always a good place to be uh, with a uh, great commodity. Yep. Uh, need coffee to get through the day. I'm not a industry <laughs> yeah, you're, no, you're in, I believe. No judgment. I don't know how people do it. I don't know how people cut coffee out of their life, but I, I honest to God, don't think I could function without it.
0: Well, we should do an experiment sometime. I, I think it'll be miserable and it's going to be really tough, but we'll do like a, like totally clean for a week. Just like no, no coffee, no alcohol, no nothing. Just water, cop, bean or rice, beans, chicken and see what happens.
1: <laughs> I could cut everything out but I'd have to call off work that week if we were cutting out coffee
0: (laughs) (laughs) that would be terrible (laughs) all right I got another fun story and then we'll move on to some real stuff so Jeff Bezos is again or not Jeff Bezos sorry I flip-flopped that Elon Musk is now officially the richest man in the world again he kind of goes back and forth with a couple different people. And so he made a public announcement. He's, he's actually sending, he's uh, mailing Jeff Bezos a silver trophy that says number two. Because <laughs> <laughs> he kicked them out of the front place spot. And I was like, you know, if you're going to be one of the world's most loved and most hated men at the same time, have some fun with it. So I thought that was really funny.
1: That's awesome. A little bit of, uh, you know, friendly sportsmanship, some game shit between the two. I and
0: mean, they That's practically won the world.
1: Yep. They do run the world, the both of them. If they teamed up, they could uh, do even more incredible things.
0: Yep. Absolutely. All right. We'll move on to the first one. We, I, we've touched on this a little bit. So there's a company called BlockFi. And what BlockFi does is they allow you to trade cryptocurrencies of different kinds, swap for dollars and such, and work on their exchange. And they recently released a credit card, like, a, like an actual credit card from their company. And it's not like a normal credit card. It's really unique. So it will, it works like a credit card. Like if you have a normal card from a bank, it works the same exact way. You pay it off at the end of the month, no big deal. But you get 1.5% back, cash back on every single purchase made in Bitcoin, not in cash, in Bitcoin. And it's like 3.5% in the first three months. And there's a big booster if you're paying more than $50,000 annually. Either way, this is awesome because that's money that you don't see. Like you just go about, if you use a credit card on a daily basis, I think you should be doing this because this gives you exposure to this kind of thing. And that, you know, that commodity can be traded for anything else you want. And it's a it's a variable asset. So you can literally play the market with this as opposed to just getting a little bit of cash back that doesn't earn any interest sitting in your bank account.
1: Yeah, I was gonna say it's genius because whenever you just get regular cash back in, uh, in the American dollar or whatever currency you may use, um, it, it technically and typically depreciates over time due to inflation, theoretically. Right. So here, this is really appreciating over time, over the long haul, assuming that, you know, the crypto world doesn't crash because China just banned it. So, uh, yeah, making a couple of assumptions
0: it's, there. I know Kevin yeah. O'Leary is really bullish on it and we both like him a lot. So he, he put out a video recently where he was like, look, we're in the very, very, very beginning of this. It hasn't even begun. So I'm, I'm also pretty happy about it.
1: Yeah, it's, um, it's definitely something that I think both of us are going to take a deep look into because it's also, I feel like, the most user-friendly way if you want to get involved in the crypto world right now, but don't want to throw thousands of dollars at it because you feel like you need a big chunk of something.
0: Exactly. And so I was thinking about this recently because you have to buy pretty much any like uh, digital assets. Ethereum is the way to go. Ethereum is the name of the currency that allows you to purchase most of these digital assets. And just for simplicity reasons, it's you know, it moves around a lot. So you have to go like, hey, how many dollars do I want for this? And that could change within the next hour, minute, second, whatever. So here's what I'm thinking is, I don't really want to go drop 400 bucks just to buy a little bit of Ethereum to maybe put down an asset. What I want to do is go about my daily life, forget about it, accumulate a little bit of Bitcoin, which I will then transfer to, so I will trade someone else in the world for their Ethereum because I literally was never going to even touch that Bitcoin in the first place. Trade those two assets, boom. I've got what I want and I haven't even done anything. It has cost me no money besides my normal monthly purchases.
1: Exactly. It's it's the best way to get in for minimal skin in the game. You really don't have any skin in the game if you're just using the credit card how you normally use credit. So
0: right. I agree. I agree. And you just get a little bit of interest and move on. All right. Well, you ready for the next one? Yeah okay so i saw an interesting statistic this week as i was kind of digging in and apparently e-commerce is only a little more than 13 percent of all retail sales these days and i I was kind of blown away I, i thought it would be closer to like i don't know 40 at this point i i was pretty convinced that everyone was ordering stuff online it was kind of a wake up i was like oh my god wait we're not actually as far into the future as we thought we were so i did a little bit more digging and i was like well walmart is my personal when I, when I like anyone anyway, to measure how th- things in the retail industry are doing, the shopping mart industry, I go to Walmart. It just makes sense. Everyone uses Walmart. So I looked at Walmart and I was like, all right, their online sales for this year are 41 billion. I was like, oh my God, that sounds awesome. That's so much. Last year, they were 24 billion. So close to doubling at this point. But then I looked at their total sales, 555 billion. <laughs> so that's, yeah, that's right about, I think about 13%, something like that, close to 15 so I I don't know, it's accurate. I guess most people aren't doing any of their shopping online yet. But at the same time, on the other side of that, you don't really, I don't think a lot of people do grocery shopping online. We still kind of do that in person. Yeah,
1: that's definitely a great mirror and reflection of the uh, of where we are right now without looking at Walmart sales, sales compelled, com, I cannot speak. Walmart <laughs> sales compared to the overall country's online sales, or retail industry's online sales. Um, I also think the reason you know that that might be a little bit jarring is a lot of times we don't consider those who might not have uh, a nice laptop or a nice smartphone that they can just pop right on and, and order it and have it show up to their doorstep. It's definitely a luxury that uh, that we've been afforded in life and, and a lot of people have been afforded but uh, I think there are large populations out there who still have to walk to Walmart or the local Kroger's or the local Publix and uh and do their shopping there um so it's it's just it goes hand in hand with the more people you know that that move into the middle class upper middle class and get access to these type of things and and wi-fi don't forget you definitely need wi-fi and that's not cheap (laughs) um then the more people that will be shopping online but
0: You know, I think that's true too. And you made me think of this as like location's a big factor too. If you're up and down the East Coast or the West Coast and you've got like big city centers or I don't know, Texas, Louisiana, places like that, it's going to be super easy. You're going to have access to a lot of labor to do this. But if you go out to like really sparse rural areas, I don't know, like the Midwest, places like that, you're not going to have access to these services. They just don't exist there yet. So I think those numbers might be skewing that a little bit. And it'd be interesting to do like a little deeper dive, just say like large city centers, what percentage of retail is online there? Now, I think that's pretty hard to measure, but that would, I think it would be a lot larger.
1: Yeah, definitely. And I'm sure whenever you were out visiting your buddy in uh, Wisconsin, oh, yeah. they, probably, they probably go down the little mom and pop butcher store instead of going to uh, some huge chain uh, place like Walmart.
0: Yeah, I'll tell you, there's still places in the United States that feel like the seventies. So it's definitely true. They've, they've not really caught up yet. And that's okay. You know, it's a simpler life and I got nothing against that.
1: Yeah, hey, um, sometimes I feel like I'd be more happy in a life like that where you're not as connected to everything because
0: <sighs> you're the me overstimulation
1: you're and uh, too much information is just uh, overwhelming at times.
0: Yeah, no, I totally agree with that. All right, so I saw a really interesting opinion piece. <laughs> it's actually today, which is yesterday from whenever this is released. Uh, <laughs> the title of the piece was is it okay to get stoned with a client? And I, I immediately was like, oh, I have to see where this goes. I can't wait. And it was basically just talking about, like, it's become such a natural thing nowadays is, you know, the majority of Americans uh, have at least some hands, or not majority, I think it's about half, have admitted to trying marijuana at some point or another. And, you know, medicinal sales are going up. It's legal in more places. And I really didn't have an opinion on it. I, I don't use marijuana myself. Uh, I, I'm going to be honest right there. I just, I don't care. I just do whatever you want. I enjoy liquor and I enjoy caffeine. Those are my <laughs> vices. But so they got me thinking, I was like, wait a minute, it was like how is this really different from, you know, grabbing a drink or grabbing a cup of coffee with a client, something like that? I mean, that's the most old that's like the oldest, most cliche meeting on the planet, is like, yeah, let's go grab a drink and hammer it out. And you're like, Yeah, you just kinda roll your eyes a little bit. Like, okay, all right, whatever. But it's true. Yeah, I I think you gotta have
1: like-minded people in like-minded sectors of business. Um, You're definitely not gonna be going to smoke marijuana if you're a part of a large corporation doing business with another large corporation, or even if you're you're doing like international business. Like I'm sure if uh, you were a company that dealt with people from China, they would not take it
0: (laughs) very well if
1: you invited them to. Yeah. Or maybe they would. I don't know.
0: Different cultures. It's really it's really interesting, but. I don't know it's fun it's fun to see that we're getting kind of more open to new ideas like that like uh i know the story that everyone tells in the real estate industry is they're like oh everyone's so casual these days you kids don't know how good you have it we had to wear suits every single day blah blah and i'm looking down at my jeans and polo and i'm like yeah dude sucks that your parents and your grandparents were so tight about this stuff i can't believe that we weren't more relaxed maybe it's good that everyone's getting stoned with their clients <laughs>
1: That's true. Maybe uh, then you won't have people screaming about uh, crazy issues and berating their clients or or other businesses. Maybe people will just be nicer to each other. But I I mean, I definitely could see it being viable in places like Colorado or California, where maybe it's like like a small industry, you're a small family business working with a very small supplier, and you need to get, I don't know, something of low importance done.
0: Right. I agree with that. All right. I got a question for you. Yeah. Do you like Tom Brady?
1: Hated him when he was in New England, (laughs) but uh, now that he's in Tampa Bay, I'm neutral on him. But I will admit he is the best to ever play the game.
0: Yep. Uh, Even if you're not a good, even if you're not like a big football fan, you probably know who Tom Brady is. And he's on the Tampa Bay Buccaneers right now. And I really like, I like any Florida team. So I'm I'm all for it because I'm from Florida, obviously. But there, there was an awesome, long, extensive interview with him recently in the Wall Street Journal. And it was talking all about how he's so he's like already transitioning away from his football life into opening all these businesses and how he's gonna you know stay afloat and I was like this dude's a really smart guy and it was kind of funny because I think we' were see, I think we're seeing this way more and more with at, like athletes and people in the world that have had very successful careers that weren't necessarily in the business world uh they just they have a very recognizable face and now they're trying to they're basically trying to get their toe into the business world so they can continue their legacy and not just phase out whenever they're done with their current career. And I, I love that kind of stuff.
1: Yeah. Um, Tom Brady is a genius when it comes to everything in the business world, his TB 12 brand and his exercises and his his whole uh, health science. Um, I don't even know if it's a company or, or what it is technically, but he has a website and he has a, the, I forget his name, but there's a certain trainer or an expert that he has attached to the brand as well. He's like his own personal doctor. Um, He's made so much money off of that um, advertising, um, different deals that he's done through with different brands.
0: He's got a clothing that, line now too.
1: Yeah, yeah, the clothing line too. I mean, people wonder why he can take pay cuts in order to keep all the all the stars on his football teams, and why he he may not be the highest paid quarterback in the NFL. And it's because he makes more money through different avenues than just the NFL.
0: Yep. I love the internet. I love how this has evolved. And I know that you and I have seen that recently because we've done our dive into the world of NFTs and cryptocurrency or crypto in general. Uh, and so we, we've seen a lot of people. I mean, I think uh, pop pop culture definitely has a big influence on it. I know like rappers, singers, artists, stuff like that. Athletes, especially, even as we just touched on, they're really getting into all this decentralized finance stuff. They love it because it kind of it gives them the freedom to do whatever they want and to build their own identity, I guess, and then sell that identity to the people who've already purchased it mentally.
1: Yeah, I saw even uh Ezekiel Elliott's releasing his own NFTs coming up here soon. And uh, and I know we've discussed NFTs here before, but a lot of these athlete, athletes NFTs that are coming out, they're kind of like trading cards. I mean, I know we've discussed like avatars, different uh, 2D pixelated animals, mm-hmm. crypto punks, uh, passports, but these ones are kind of just like a regular trading card.
0: Yep, Tom Brady actually has a NFT trading card website that he's launching, and I know he and Tiger Woods are teaming up to do something too. That's really cool. I think this comes really hot off the heels of like um, like the NCAA ruling that uh, the like the, the college players can now have their own image and likeness and they can own that and they can profit off of it. So this is like the next evolution of that, I think. And especially in a world that isn't totally controlled by a central entity, which is God, my favorite part of DeFi. Um, I, it all comes together and it's really awesome. It's, it gives people the freedom to be who they want to be and to reward the most creative of all of us.
1: Yeah, definitely. Um, I think that it's going to keep growing and expanding um and it is it's a great thing for these athletes to be able to get involved in this space because you always hate to see whenever someone's well beyond their days and they squandered their money and oh, now they're yeah. broke. and I mean,
0: yeah, I mean, there's some really big statistic which we had I'll, I'll find I'll tag it in the show notes. There's some huge statistic of like the number of professional football players that end up going broke within ten, twenty years after they're quit playing. I mean, they just they just have no control over their own spending. And they, they're, they're, it's not really truly their fault. They were never educated for it. And they're, they're in like a high, fast-paced environment. But I, I'm really hoping that this kind of gives everyone more of a control. And even on the consumer side, like for you and me, we get to basically own equity in these people and bet on who we want to bet on that we think is going to succeed and then profit off that ourselves, which is really good for everyone. Everyone kind of wins. You know, The pool gets bigger.
1: Yep, uh, and you got to be smart whenever you're buying them. Um, like John said, you're kind of buying equity in these people. Uh, if someone comes out of the draft right away and releases 500 NFTs and they're all selling for a super high price because they're so limited, uh, and then you buy you you buy I don't know 500 dollars worth of them, and then they end up flopping and they're out of the NFL in two years it's not going to be worth anything. It's it's kind of like investing in that person just like everything else. So, yep. you know, you're going to have to do your research kind of like you're researching stocks. Uh, you're going to have to kind of be like a scout and and watch them in college and look at all the, uh, the mechanics and are they going to be a good quarterback? Is it a good scheme? What team are they going to? It'll be interesting.
0: I agree. I totally agree with that. And on the note of trading cards, Fanatics is one of like the largest sports apparel businesses I think in the United States of the world, I, I couldn't tell you the world, but it is definitely in the United States. They're enormous now. I mean, they sell everything from jerseys to, well, I guess I'll really, really, mostly sell jerseys and gear and stuff like that. But they're starting like a trading card business or something. And all I could think of was like, man, this kind of outdated. That's, that's like hot on the heels of, you know, 2001, I guess. But, uh, it made me also think of like the NFTs and the whole crypto world is just all about collecting. It's people just like collecting stuff. I said, well, maybe maybe this isn't a bad play maybe maybe good on them I think people prefer it to be digital because they don't have to actually store it anywhere but I, I don't know I could see it going either way
1: whenever you brought up the the collecting as aspect there and I definitely agree on that it's
0: yeah, you like your it stuff. also
1: it all comes down to <laughs> that's when my ear just jumped to collecting because I like collecting really you like stuff, you like stuff. yep and when I collect stuff I want stuff that other people can't have or don't have yep so A lot of it boils down to that too. And, and that's why I look at these limited runs whenever I'm researching NFTs. So like, uh, if an athlete releases 10,000 NFTs every season and you have a, a 2020 Tom Brady NFT and a 2021 Tom Brady NFT, 2022 Tom Brady NFT, they're just going to go down in value the more and more they go on, unless something crazy happens that season, like he wins league MVP and a super bowl. And then maybe that would affect the price I'd imagine, but what's really going to sell is the limited first edition runs that you minted yourself and you didn't uh, buy off of someone else. Cause you know, I want that exclusivity. You want to have something other people don't have and that's what sells.
0: That's exactly right. I know we both kind of feel like the rarity and the—I I not don't, I don't really know, like the urgency is exactly what we both feel. Cause I know we've gone back and forth whenever we're shopping for this kind of stuff and we're like, oh my God, there's new things coming out. And then there's new things coming out. And you're like, wait, there's so much stuff coming out that there's no way for it to all be valuable. You have to kind of like narrow it down. So this made me think of, do you know what magic the gathering is? Yeah, it's a card
1: game um, similar to Yu-Gi-Oh! or Pokemon. Definitely more involved, I know, but just for anyone out there that's never heard of it.
0: Super, super nerdy card game. And I, it's kind of fun. I've seen it before, but it, it's it's like huge and super popular. And so there was a great interview a while back, several months ago, where they basically said, how have you kept your card game in specific so popular when there's so much stuff out there? People still like collecting stuff, but everything really gets old after a while. And they said, well, guess what? We're really, really smart about only releasing a certain amount of really specific rare stuff. Everyone else kind of just continually pumps them out because they're making money and they think, oh, more means more money. I said, no, we need to keep the rarity. So I think that the NFT world and the crypto world are going to figure that out eventually. But we're kind of in the run where there's there's a lot of really, it's really a lot of inexperienced business people and just kids who have art ideas that want to pump them out and go for it from there. And they're going to get beaten out really quickly because they're going to fall into that same trap of if we thinking if we release more, we make more, which isn't true. You have to maintain rarity at some point.
1: Yep. You think of the dot-com bubble whenever everyone first started getting online and websites first became a thing. Everyone had a website. I know my dad tried to make a website and thought it was going to blow up. Everyone thought they were going to be Mark Cuban or uh, Robert Herjavak, I think that's his name. I don't know, I can never pronounce it right. Couldn't tell but those, those software guys that got in and uh, developed, um, I don't even know what their companies revolve around. I know Cuban just, I think he just bought and sold a bunch of software companies, but these guys that got in in the beginning, everyone's going to jump on this NFT, NFT train and want to make something. And the key is just, you got to be different than the rest and you got to maintain rarity like we've been talking about. Um, But yeah, that's immediately what I thought of was the dot-com bubble because I just remember my dad saying him and a buddy tried to make a website and thought they were going to get rich off it. And (laughs) I can only imagine how many people made a website whenever the internet first became a thing.
0: You're exactly right. I'm actually really glad you brought that up. So that is is a true story and a true fact is that there were a whole ton of companies in the dot-com bubble that literally didn't do anything. They just had internet, web, something like like a buzzword that had to do with the internet in their name of the company, they didn't actually do anything. And so they had these ridiculous stock prices. People kept piling into them and they're like, well, what does this company do? Wait, nothing. All right, everyone leaves, it crashes, it's done. I think we're seeing the exact same thing here. And I think there's going to be a big old bubble pop, but why I'm not worried is because it's in the decentralized world. It's not in like the real life big business world. So it's gonna pop. Some people are gonna lose money. And it's just going to cycle again. I really don't think it's going to be that big of a deal because it's in the decentralized world. We're allowed to experiment with this stuff now.
1: Yeah, it's not linked to our, to the currency,
0: the American dollar. Well, uh, not yeah, I mean, we're pouring money into, we're, we're trading yeah. it for these coins and stuff. But I don't know. I, I'm yeah. still not worried. In that, theory, it should affect the value
1: of a dollar. Yeah,
0: I don't know. The Fed, the Fed will continue to print money and balance it all out. It'll be okay. If we, If we throw a little bit away, it's all right. <laughs> it'll all work out in the end yep all right you're up
1: all right so um I guess this is kind of a, a new IPO we I saw this week um not sure if it's an IPO no or not <laughs> but another electric car manufacturer uh coming to market uh they're actually from Sweden they're Swedish and it is the sport luxury branch of Volvo. Mm-hmm. Um, they're backed by Leonardo DiCaprio, fun fact. Uh, their name is Star, and there's currently a Poolstar 1 and a Star 2. Um, they're going public at a valuation of $20 billion through a SPAC. Um, for people out there who don't know what a SPAC is, um, I had it pulled up. I've got it. Uh, a special, right.
0: special purpose acquisition company. It's a company specifically formed with a bunch of rich people that are, they've made this company just as a pool of money, specifically to take a private company public, they'll merge with it and make it public.
1: Yep, it's it's almost like a blank check company, right?
0: Yep, exactly. So that was a whole mess. We, we, we can talk about that later, but typically there's not a lot of money backing the private companies, so this is a way for them to do it, and it's very difficult to prove that there's gonna be any success. That's why people are wary of it.
1: Mm-hmm, yep. Um, but they're they're kind of modeling a lot of things that Tesla does. Uh, for instance, your smartphone is the key to the vehicle. Uh, you can monitor battery levels on your smartphone. All stuff that's kind of been done. Um, you can currently book a test drive with it. Uh, but one thing that is new about the Polestar uh, electric vehicles is you can actually purchase the car with art. Let's say you own a ton of art, or somehow you've came you've come into possession of a fifty thousand dollar art piece, uh, piece of art um you can get in contact with them and provide them your personal information and they'll contact you to initiate the transaction then you have to request valuation and get it uh valued uh your art that is um and then after it's estimated by an expert if it corresponds to the price of the Polestar star one you will be offered a trade no cash involved and uh, the Polestar star will be delivered to you and you'll pay for it with your piece of art
0: I am 100% seeing that they're going to retain, uh, quote unquote, experts, and they're going to come in and you're going to come in with your Mona Lisa and they'd be like, yep, now you know, this is only like five grand. What else you got?
1: (laughs) That's immediately what I thought of, because when I was digging around on their website, I did see they had um, their one art advisor actually posted. His name is Theodore Dollinson. I don't know, some good Swedish guy. Uh, he's a private art advisor who specializes in modern and contemporary art.
0: Uh-huh. How, how, how do you, contemporary va- you can't investment. value art. Art's just literally whatever someone else will pay for it. Exactly. So at the end of
1: the day, it's kind of... Um, it's a cool idea. Know, it's a really cool idea. They, it's a great idea. I don't know how they're going to reach valuation on it. Uh, it would be even cooler, though, if um, NFTs were something that you could trade with. I'm sure it isn't right now, but
0: Well it could be... Uh, use for them in the future that's a big debate in the finance world is that obviously you know we say this a lot it's my favorite saying of all time the uh, thing is only worth what someone else to pay for it and people are willing to pay for these digital assets at what point are banks well actually it's happening now slowly but surely like banks and investing institutions are now gonna have to start buying these things up because they're valuable to the open market because other people will pay for it at what point do you throw those on your balance sheet and say oh our company's worth this much and you know five percent of it is um jpegs of cartoon monkeys like (laughs) those those jpegs are worth something (laughs) like i don't know i i just i can just imagine that coming out and you know the irs is trying to figure out what to tax them they're like how do we even do this (laughs) (laughs) i
1: didn't even think about having to put that on a balance sheet and if it's decentralized and not supposed to be technically an asset kind of yeah because the the irs can't tax them then, right?
0: I don't know. I literally don't know and I can't wait until we figure it out and it, it's going to be great. It's just going to be great.
1: <laughs> Hopefully it's not too big of a mess.
0: Yep. Well, this is a big thing recently. Uh, this is only a brief touch because I actually don't have all the information about it unfortunately, but a bunch of federal judges are all being like knocked on now because every, all this information is coming out. They're like, oh, these people, these people were trading companies the whole time that they were sitting there seeing cases and stuff. And I, the whole point of the world of DeFi and all this stuff is to hold people accountable, to make sure that everyone is visible and transparent to everyone in an an effort, basically to stop crime and all this good stuff and promote free markets. And man, the revolution's coming. I'm here for it.
1: I was going to say, there's going to be a lot of super wealthy, um, grumpy, older people like these, uh, the people you just spoke of that are not going to be very happy.
0: Nope. Nope. They are not. All right. That wraps up for me. Do you want to do your quote?
1: Yeah. Uh, Quote of the day, Richard Branson. Um, Everyone out there, if you don't know who Richard Branson is, Google him. But he said, you don't learn to walk by following the rules. You learn by doing and falling over.
0: Yeah, that's absolutely true. Got to get burned to figure it out.
1: Yep. Yep. I think it's a constant theme of our show. And then it made me think uh, whenever anyone learns to walk, uh, there's never any rules. Whenever you're trying to learn to walk, you just walk and fall. Yeah, get hurt
0: no you're right uh naval ravikant says something about that too he's like you're never going to get wealthy if you're not if you're afraid to get made fun of or something like that basically just like be op- be open to getting laughed at because at some point you're going to figure it out and that builds confidence yep exactly
1: great oh. quote and great point to take the uh, week out on
0: i love it yep that'll wrap us up so everyone have a fantastic weekend and we'll be back to normal schedule per usual tuesday morning
1: yep see y'all then